SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome everybody into another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sun Belt Podcast. I am this week sitting in host Brian Stone, usually second in command here uh, on the Sun Belt Podcast. But uh, I am joined this week by uh, Underdog Dynasty Sun Belt writer Zeke Palermo. Zeke, say hello to everybody at home. Hey, what's going on, y'all? My name is Zeke Palermo. Uh, primarily covered Georgia State and Georgia Southern for Underdog Dynasty, but today. Uh, Helping Brian out, talk some Warhawks and Bobcat football. For sure. So let's start off here with Texas State. Uh, you know, another rough campaign uh, down there in San Marcos. Um, two and ten season last year. Only wins coming over UL Monroe, and surprisingly, an upset win over Arkansas State. Uh, Zeke, I'm going to start off before we kind of dive into the team here and and I guess try to diagnose a little bit of what went wrong. I I, want to ask, is this Jake Spavadol's last chance to kind of make something out of this program? Uh, That's a great question. I know you and I, um, when the underdog dynasty writers, when we we wrote about who's on the hot seat um, over under for coach movement. You and I both agreed that Spavanaugh is probably on the hot seat. Um, there's a lot of talk, at least on the Twitterverse. I don't know if it's coming from San Marcos, but um, he's in his third season, but it, the dude's five and 19, four and 12 in Sunbelt games. Um, I think the chain not is not quite tight yet. But uh, as the season continues, I think we could see Spavadol's seat warm up. For sure. So, you know, you kind of touched on the the, the record uh, for tech. You know, Jake Spavadol as the head coach of Texas State. Um, you know, I, I guess, like I said, two and ten last season. I guess looking a little bit on the bright side here, you know, six of their ten losses last year came by ten points or fewer. So. I guess if you want to look on the bright side there, you know, they were in games, uh, so to speak. You know, it wasn't like they were just getting their doors blown off every other week. Um, but but kind of looking at, you know, how this team is constructed uh, and and everything, you know, last year, like we said, rough season. Um, but it's it felt like they kind of found their quarterback in Brady McBride. Would you agree with that? I I agree. Obviously, last year he took um, he was the starter in title, um, and moving into this season, I'm sure he's expected to be the number one guy coming into week one. Um, but I am very curious. I think with Tyler Vitt, um, who played, I think he played three or four games last year. He uh, he's been a very reliable backup in San Marcos for a couple years now. I think he deserve, he's going to be gunning for a job. And they transferred in Ty Evans from NC State. He, um, mm-hmm. he didn't play last season, but uh, there are guys that want McBride's job. And I think Spavadol is going to give him a chance. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any reason for those guys not to be gunning for McBride's job. I mean, anytime you go 2-10 as a, a record as a, as a quarterback, you know, 
you're not locked into a job by any stretch of the imagination. So I I think the key, if Vit actually wants to compete, you know, when you go back and look at his numbers, he obviously played a lot less than McBride did last year, but he, you know, he had a, he had real trouble not turning over the football. Um, You know, McBride had a 17 touchdown, seven interception type of season. Vit, on the other hand, in the games that he played, you know, nine touchdowns to six picks, uh, obviously, you know, I, I'll say this. I felt like many times last year when I watched Texas State that Brady McBride was kind of running for his life uh, a little bit behind that offensive line. So you kind of touched on it. I mean, we'll we'll dive into how this team is currently constructed with the crazy number of transfers that they have coming in for this year. But, you know, let's say McBride starts this whole season, wins the job outright, beats out, you know, Ty Evans, like you said, and and Vit. You know, what are your kind of expectations for Texas State this year? Assuming it's McBride uh, under center, I I think he has an uh, – if we're going to talk floor ceiling on McBride and the Bobcats with McBride, he's got the ceiling to be among the top half of um, – Sunbelt quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we look at his stats last season. I mean, seventeen to seven and touchdown interception. By no means stellar, but at, at the level of football they play, um, it's Sunbelt football. That that'll get the job done. Um, yeah. So I I think the ceiling is, uh, it's a little ambiguous to say this, but the ceiling is pretty high for McBride um, if he can keep the job. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, all, I guess, good sense would would point towards him keeping the job. But if you get a coach like Spavadol, who it's it's a make or break type of year uh, this year for him, you never know like what he may throw at the wall as far as the quarterback goes situation goes and just see what sticks. You know what I mean? So um, just looking at it here, you know, they really did improve uh, from two seasons ago in 2019. You know, Texas State averaged about 18 and a half points a game, which was ugly. Uh, I remember, I remember doing this exact podcast and having to basically talk about them every week, which was uh, like putting lipstick on a pig, uh, so to speak. But last year under McBride, you know, they they averaged 27.7 uh, points per game and uh, 5.7 yards per play. Um, you know, he he returns uh, number one receiver Marcel Barbie, who scored 10 touchdowns a year ago, and they've got some good running back depth um, with a couple of those guys. So offensively, what do you do you think that they take another step or do you think they they kind of stagnate looking at this year? I think um, it, the Sun Belt is a unique conference. Um, they call it the Fun Belt for a reason. You mentioned Texas State averaged 28 points per game last season, um, but that was only sixth best, best in the conference. Um, so it's difficult to improve in the Sun Belt in terms of your offensive production. I think uh, you talked about the weapons coming back. The incredibly deep running back room is just uh, – any head coach would beg for the quality that's in that Texas State running back committee. Um, I think the biggest key is going to be the offensive line. Um, they, as we've brought in three guys who will probably be starting, um, three transfers, uh, new offensive line coach with NFL experience. Um, it'll be a tough improvement to make, but I think if uh, there's going to be a team to do it, it's going to be Texas State. 
Yeah, I, I mean, we we kind of touched on the offensive line play a little uh, earlier, but I specifically remember watching uh, them play SMU the opening game of the season last year, and that game was very winnable for them, except it looked like McBride was really running for his life uh, on a lot of plays where he was just trying to make, you know, something out of nothing. Um, but, you know, going in, talking about, you know, we, we touched on Marcel Barbie, their leading receiver from a year ago. You know, he had 10 touchdowns, uh, 584 yards receiving, led the team in receiving yardage. But the running back room, I, I mean, it is very talented and they are young. So, you know, do you expect this team maybe to try to take some heat off of the uh, the new offensive line construction and maybe try to run the ball a little bit more effectively than they did last year? Um, if they were to focus more on the run game, I don't know if that's uh, taking heat off of the offensive line. Yeah, offensive line is obviously super important as important in the run game as it is the pass game. So whether or not they decide to run the ball more at a higher ratio than they did last season, I think that does not impact the the stress you're putting on your offensive line. Okay. That's yeah, that's fair. Um, so looking at this running back room, uh, you know, they return leading rusher from a year ago, Calvin Hill, uh, who ran for, you know, about five, five point three yards per carry, had five touchdowns. Uh, and then Brock Sturgis was a guy who came in and did some really good things. Uh, Iowa State transfer uh, comes back for this year as well. About the same yardage, same number of touchdowns as Hill. Uh, and then Jamal Jamel or Jamal Jeter. Uh, kind of is that third guy that slots in to run the ball for this uh, Bobcats team. So, you know, we'll we'll have to see what what kind of offensive identity they decide to kind of put forth. Um, you know, Barbie is a is a definitely a good receiver, and um, obviously, you know, McBride and Barbie had no problem you know connecting last year. But um, let's talk about the fact that Spavadol has decided. Uh, to have his mail forwarded to the transfer portal because he's living there now full time. Uh, I believe this team as a whole has something like fourteen transfer players coming in f- for this year. Is the that I've got, the number I've got? Is seventeen of nineteen new players this year are transferred? Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I remember signing day last year looking at their um maybe it was 24 7 looking at their recruiting page and they had nobody but then everyone was like oh yeah they've got 17 new players coming in and i was like from where and and it was it was all from the transfer portal so do you think that that would help this type of team that that has a head coach that kind of needs to make an impact right away um, and, and, you know, basically save his job. Do you think having this amount of transfers helps him kind of get a leg up because those guys might have some experience already? Absolutely. I think, I mean, you what you just said really is what's happening. If you compare it to professional sports, this is signing veterans so that you can go win a ring now. Sure. Obviously, Texas State's not gunning for the Sun Belt Championship, but um, whether, whether he wants to admit it or not, Spavrol is definitely – trying to get a extra win or two by having veterans, guys that have been in the NCAA before, uh, by relying more on transfers as opposed to incoming freshmen, redshirt freshmen. 
Yeah, for sure. So let's uh, kind of turn the page and, and go to the other side of the ball here. Defense um, was a real Achilles heel for this team last year. Uh, gave up 38 points per game. Uh, finished ninth in the Sun Belt against the run, uh, which, I mean, Zeke, I'm sure you and the listeners know this better than, than anyone. As much as teams in the Sun Belt like to throw the ball around and score a bunch of points, I mean, a lot of these teams run the ball really effectively. So, you know, what is kind of your opinion, you know, when you have, when you look at a defense like this that couldn't stop the run, you know, what does that do? You know, what, what kind of chance do you give them to get better this year if, if they continue not to stop the run? Uh, you don't win football games if you don't win the trenches. Uh, it's simple as that. I mean, I, I think anyone that's been around the game will agree with that sentiment. You don't win football games if you don't win the trenches. And so Texas State's inability to put any semblance of pressure on quarterbacks or, as you were just talking about, in the running game, uh, telling guys, hey, come walk all over us. Uh, at that point, you're conceding at any point four yards per play, right? You're saying at any right. point in this game, you your offense can run a run play and we'll give you four yards. Mm-hmm. And I, that's just not in the slightest bit conducive to winning football. For sure. Um, you know, when you look at the top of the Sun Belt and look at the teams that are really, you know, kind of head and shoulders above the rest, you know, the the Louisianas, the Coastals, the Appalachian States, you know, they, they like to throw the ball and, and that's all well and good. But the backbone of those teams does really feel like the running game. So, you know, and then you mix in, you know, teams like Georgia Southern, you know, Georgia State likes to run the ball a fair bit. You know, you've only got to kind of got a few teams like Arkansas State and Troy that really just have uh, had had in the past no interest in running the football effectively. So if, if they continue not to stop the run, I don't I don't foresee this season going much better than last uh, for the Bobcats. But um, let's talk about the secondary a little bit. We talked about, you know, the trenches in the front seven. You know, they were as bad as they were against the run. They weren't much better against the past, even even though they have a fairly good cornerback in Jaron Morris returning. Um, you know, they gave up yeah, 6.3 yards per play, and they ranked eighth in the conference in pass efficiency defense. And you kind of touched on this a little earlier. They didn't even rush the passer very well. So uh, with this amount of transfers, you know, what are you kind of expecting from this defense? Um. Uh, there are two transfers uh, that have come in, uh, specifically a cornerback that I think people are going to be watching. Eric Sutton, he's coming over from SMU. Um, and then DC Williams uh, played three games last year for Vandy. Uh, look, uh, you talked about Jaron Morris, who put up four interceptions last season, which I think is the. Uh, I mean, that's just an impressive number for any player, but especially in such a poor defensive back in a poor secondary mm-hmm. that's impressive but uh, those picks alone just do not get the job done it's all it's about yards allowed at the end of the day picks mean uh, when you're allowing as many yards as they were um so those guys i touched on sutton and williams i i don't personally feel like they're gonna do much sutton hasn't played a game since 2019 due to injury and uh one one story reads that he suffered or he re-inflame that injury during the spring practice 
and uh, mm. DC Williams. I mean, he he played three games for Vanderbilt. Uh, yeah. So I just feel like, as with lots of these teams, do you know recovering from COVID with the extra year of eligibility, there aren't a ton of additions to be excited about in the sure. secondary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, that was the defensive side of the ball. Let's, let's talk about the upcoming schedule, uh, for Texas state. You know, I, I think I said this last year when I looked at tech, when we did the previews and I looked at Texas state's schedule for the 2020 season, I, I think I went through and said, I see one, maybe two wins on the schedule. They ended up, you know, pulling out a surprise win, like I said, against Arkansas state last year. This year's schedule, I, I mean, to me, it looks like t- to me that the winnable games, they have maybe one or two winnable games in the Sun Belt, and then maybe one or two outside of the Sun Belt. So what are you kind of forecasting once you look at their their schedule for the upcoming year? So uh, before I get going into that, I'm curious what two Sun Belt games you think the Bobcats could pull out. Well, I think number one, UL Monroe, um, to be mm-hmm. totally honest, like they will talk about them, but they've consistently kind of been in the bottom uh, since Caleb Evans, their their quarterback from a few years ago left. And I mean, like, to be totally honest, South Alabama and I think even Arkansas State are winnable games. Um, they beat Arkansas State in an upstate last year. South Alabama, I mean, People can go back and you know listen to our preview of them. I'm not sold on Jake Bentley, the Utah transfer at quarterback for South Alabama. I think I think he's going to do nothing but stunt the growth that Desmond Trotter showed last year. So mm-hmm. they almost feel like to me that they're taking a step backwards at the quarterback position. So I mean, you know, pick two essentially. Right. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about it. So um, you've got you bring up a good point. Obviously, they're going to squeeze out a win against UL Monroe. You, we'll talk about it later, as you mentioned. And uh, South Alabama, you can win that game. Uh, it's early in the season. I think it's their first conference game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that can really uh, that'll set you up for an interesting matchup against Troy. Obviously, you, you'll lose to Troy, but. Uh, if we're going to talk record, I can't see much better than four wins all season. Yeah. Um, four and eight. If we're going to be optimistic, five and seven, if they can pull something against FIU. Um, I, I think but, the I think the Eastern Michigan game might be winnable as well. Um, Eastern Michigan is very winnable. Incarnate Word, obviously, is going to – that's going to be a runaway for them. But Yeah, that one should be a layup. Uh, that, right. one, that one should be easy. It, it, it's hard to tell when you look at like I looked at Eastern Michigan's schedule because to be totally mm-hmm. honest, I don't know anything about the MAC like from right. year to year. So it, it's hard to tell when you have a COVID shortened season like the MAC did uh, or Eastern Michigan specifically. But I mean, they started off zero and four to start last year, and then they won two games right at the end and, and finished two and four. So I don't think that they're some world beater type of team. And me and Matt have talked about this before. I, I mean. Is the Sun Belt's probably the second top to bottom, second best G five conference, right after the American? So, I mean, by and large, like, wouldn't would you would you say that maybe the bottom of the Sun Belt might be better than the bottom of the MAC? I don't know. I agree with you that they Sun Belt is 
second, if not the top, G5. I, I don't think there's much discussion that they're, at the very least, top two. Yes. Um, but uh, there's a very big power discrepancy between Coastal, between Louisiana, and then you jump down to ULM. Yeah. The top and the bottom, it is a very wide range. Right. So, so for you to go out and say the bottom of the Sun Belt is better than the top of the MAC? No, I said the bottom of the Sun Belt and the bottom of the MAC. Okay, yeah, yeah. I can give you that. I can definitely give you that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, like I said, Eastern Michigan, I, I, like you, I don't know much about them, so I guess we'll just have to wait for that. Um, wait for that game, see how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, obviously their 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 opener. I mean, they're going to get smoked by Baylor. Um, mm-hmm. There's no really argument there. And then, you know, we talked about all the in, uh, out of conference games. They get three in a row: FIU, Incarnate Word, Eastern Michigan. They open with South Alabama at home, which is the reason another reason I feel like that, that's a winnable game. Um, and then from there, I I just unless they just take a huge step, I don't see wins over. Troy, Georgia State, Louisiana, Georgia Southern, Coastal. I mean, I I don't see them beating any of those teams. So, I mean, I kind of agree with you. I think four to five wins is this team's ceiling this year. Uh, I wish I had some novel disagreement to give the listeners and some meaningful conversation here, but I mean, we're both in agreement. This is a, you look at the schedule and you know what games are wins and you know what games are losses. Yeah, so that will pretty much wrap up the the Texas State preview for this upcoming year. Now, let's turn the page to the other Sunbelt West team who was, I mean, I don't think I'm I'm saying putting anything by saying this, uh, putting anything lightly by saying this. I mean, the absolute worst Sunbelt team last year. I mean, they were 0-12 or 0-11. Uh, they didn't win, win a single game. Uh, they <laughs> were not even in contention for a lot of these games. I mean, Georgia Southern, they lost to the Eagles by five, and that was the closest game they played all year. I think it's the only one-score game they played all year, um, now that I'm looking at last year's slate. So, obviously, they completely scrapped the coaching staff, brought in a whole new you know, unit. Terry Bowden uh, comes out of retirement and is now the uh, the head coach. Uh, they brought in Rich Rodriguez to run the offense, uh, brought in Zach Alley to run the defense. I mean, this team needs – this is like – what do you call it? When you, when you flip a house and you just rip the guts of it out and you start yeah. over, that's pretty much what's happening with this football team. I think, uh, obviously, there's not – uh, college football is unique. College sports is unique when compared to professional and that you can't just trade guys away. So if you're trying to rebuild, it begins and ends with the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to talk about how good is ULM going to be, it's going to be how good is Bowden? How quickly can he turn this program around? Will he be able to turn this program around? Um, his last job with, was with Akron. They yeah. hired him to turn the program around and – if I'm correct, he did not do that by any means. <laughs> no, he did not. <laughs> so, it, how much faith faith do you have in Bowden and his guys? Uh, for me, it's very little. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's got the resume to do it. Uh, that Auburn, obviously, no one's going to forget that. Comes from one of the most important coaching families in all of football. So, 
if someone's going to turn it around, it's going to be him. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fair. You know, um, I, I think that he has a very strong offensive coordinator who's almost a little overqualified at this point to be an offensive coordinator at the Sun Belt level. I mean, Rich Rodriguez, you know, not that long ago was coaching Arizona as their head coach. And I mean, let's be totally honest. He was, he was doing a better job there than Kevin Sumlin currently is. So, I mean, you know, I, I think he's, he kind of struck gold with Rich Rodriguez looking for a job, but let's kind of get into this, this year's offense. Um, Rich Rodriguez is truly going to have to, to do some magic with this team because last year, only only averaged 4.8 yards per play, 16 points per game last year. Um, I mean, the offensive line has to improve. Uh, they get, they do get Rich Rodriguez's son, Rhett Rodriguez, uh, at quarterback, transferred over from Arizona. Uh, we'll see if he starts. Um, you know, Colby Suits was pretty good last year for them. I mean, all things considered. Um and and the one thing I didn't realize until I'm looking at it right now, Colby Suits was built like a brick house. I mean, 6'4", 245, according oh to goodness. ESPN. I didn't realize he was that large. Maybe they've got that wrong. But um, talk a little bit about what uh, Rich Rodriguez may have to play with uh, with this offense this season because it was ugly last year. So you mentioned, obviously, bringing his son over, Rhett Rodriguez. Um, I, I'm going to go out and just say it. I don't think we, you and I, but then also just the sports world as a whole knows a lot about Rhett Rodriguez. He's only a hundred passing attempts on his career, which is what three games are worth. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's hard to predict. Um, and it's always hard to predict who's going to be good. Who's going to be bad. But with such a small sample size, I don't know if what we can expect from Rodriguez. Um, I think, It'll be a unique dynamic. Will it impact at all that he's playing under his dad? Uh, you know, that's a bit more of an off-field story than it necessarily is on-field, but will that play into this at all? Um, you talked about the just atrocious running game, 76 rather, yards per game. Uh, that's just, And then they lost their leading rusher, Josh Johnson. I think yep. he signed up with the Seattle Seahawks. So... Uh, the weapons are not there on the offensive side, and it'll be – you mentioned Rodriguez is possibly overqualified for this job. Well, you got to make sure you you follow through on that. Absolutely. Um, so I'm just looking through uh, the stats from last year, trying to find kind of a diamond in this rough. Uh, you know, Josh, and, and I hate to start off this way, but Josh Peterson was the leading receiver for this team last year, son of – you know, former Eagles coach Doug Peterson, um, he's gone. So you not only have to find a new leading rusher, you have to find a receiver to kind of break out of this pack of guys that they've had. And, you know, they get a fair bit of receiver transfers in as well. You know, they get wide receiver Jalen Jackson, Jared Sparks, Darian Wiley, Jeremiah Knight. I mean, we'll see if any of these guys kind of step up and become the guy there, but there's nothing but opportunity uh to be the main pass catcher in this offense and maybe maybe rodriguez has something drawn up that uh you know schemes guys open but but we'll have to see how that goes um and then running the football you gotta i guess you gotta assume caden roach uh who 
was the second leading rusher for this Warhawks team last year, returns and kind of leads the team there. But man, um, do you see, I hate to ask this because we, we've been fairly even handed when we do our previews. Do you see anybody on this offense that immediately sticks out that you're like, Hey, that could be a guy that, you know, steps up and becomes an important that, that, part of this team. No, you mentioned Caden Roach is probably stepping up into the RB one position. He only did that on 18 rushing attempts. Right. Um, so, I mean, he was averaging 6.2 yards per carry, which is, I mean, that's impeccable, but on 18 yards per carry, again, that small sample size, you can't just like with Rhett Rodriguez, you don't know what that becomes. Um, right. I, I think if someone's going to break, break out, it's going to be just due to scheming. No one's going to just prove that they were a gem that the previous regime overlooked. It's going to be scheming that makes a guy break out. For sure. Um, and, and we'll see, you know, who out of that pack, you know, kind of emerges and becomes the guy. Uh, and, and when I'm looking at it here, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I apologize, folks. It's really tough to find something to kind of talk about with this team. And I mean, I guess you just kind of have to hang your hat on you know, Terry Bowden and Rich Rodriguez and hope that that's enough um, and hope that he can recruit some guys and get some transfers in that can kind of help do something in this offense because it was, it was ugly last year. So um, kind of, and the, and the last thing I wanted to mention about Caden Roach, you know, you talked about his just 18 carries. I mean, I think this would be it for any normal team, I think this would be common sense, but if a guy's averaging six yards a carry and you've only given him 18 carries, I think the answer might be a little bit more volume <laughs> and at least just see what he has. More um, volume, as, as we're talking about Caden Roach, I'm going through the last year's statistics. Roach had seven receptions out of the backfield, which, yeah. again, small sample size, what does that mean? But uh, that ratio, I think, is really interesting. 18 rushing attempts, but then 17 receptions. Um, yeah. I mean, that's what, like 30, that's over 30% for every three rushes, he's getting roughly one reception. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm curious to see how Rodriguez, how Bowden, um, if they plan to utilize him at all in the passing game, um, or if, as we're talking about, is volume just giving us some funky numbers? Yeah. I mean, that that's always possible. I mean, especially the Sunbelt's kind of crazy anyway, so... I mean, we'll we'll just have to see how that goes. So let's. It, this is going to be tough too. Let's transition over to the defense. Um, Bowden recruits uh, Zach Alley, the former linebackers coach at Boise State, to come over and be his defensive coordinator. Um, UL Monroe again last year just absolutely brutal on the defensive side of the ball. They gave up forty-two points per game, uh, almost seven yards per play and gave up nearly 250 yards on the ground per game. Um, so I don't know, do you, <laughs> do you, I hate to set you up like this in your first, you know, appearance on the Sunbelt podcast. Do you have anything to add here? <laughs> so something you and I both struggled to find, and I think everyone will struggle to find is the offensive guy. Who's the guy on the offense? Yeah. If you come over to the defensive side of the ball, ULM has their guy, Travion Webster, um, he played, through my research, 534 snaps, which is more than double anyone else on the defense. 
Sure. Uh, he plays inside linebacker. He was averaging like, I think eight tackles per game. He's their guy. Um, and it, I think it's, uh, he thrived last year. If memory serves, Monroe did run like a nickel set, like a four, two, five kind of look, yeah. um, almost exclusively. So, um, will Allie, does Allie bring that same type of scheme that brings that question? But the, the key difference between the atrocious offense and the atrocious defense is the defense has their guy. There's at least some, there's at least a, a warm-blooded person on one side of the ball that might do right. something. Somebody who <laughs> has a semblance of being a functional football player is on that defensive side of the ball. I think I think Webster's an interesting player. I'm I'm looking at his kind of profile on their on their website now, uh, mm-hmm. ULM's athletic site. You know, very undersized for a linebacker, six foot two eleven. Are his listed as his measurables? Um, I'm kind of surprised that he was able to rack up as many tackles as he was because there. I mean, you know, there are running backs in the Sun Belt that are bigger than this guy. Right. So. Uh, I mean, good for him. You know, 82 total tackles, uh, two and a half sacks last year. Um, I believe he led the team, or he was tied for the team lead in sacks at two and a half. So that should kind of tell you where this team was at. They only had 13 sacks as an entire team last year, um, and they only picked off four passes. Uh, all year so it wasn't as if they were getting to the quarterback and they also weren't exactly forcing turnovers at a high rate um but yes uh so that's something that they will absolutely need to do um secondary wise they were dead last in pass efficiency defense um i guess i guess saying all that to say it would be putting it mildly that it's going to be a building year in monroe Building is a very, very generous word um, because uh, to, to say you're building insinuates that you have the pieces in place. Right. Um, and I mean, we're at the part where we, we don't even, we haven't bought the wood. If I'm, if I'm the coaching <laughs> we, staff in Monroe. We just cleared the, yeah, we just broke down the previous house's foundation and now we just have an empty lot waiting to yeah. be built. <laughs> and I've got my contractor, his name's Bowden, and that's about it. <laughs> So, <laughs> I think that's fair. Uh, so, looking at this year's schedule for the Warhawks, um, man, the schedule makers didn't do them any favors, really, now that I look at it. Um, I see one win on this schedule. Let uh, me pull it up, but I'm just going to go out without having seen it yet. I'm going to say that sounds a little generous. Well, I don't know. They play Jackson State in week two. So, I think they'll beat Jackson State. Maybe, um, but I mean, whoever their AD deciding to just make their entire out of conference schedule either a top flight G five school in Liberty or LSU or Kentucky is not doing them any favors. That's kind of their out of conference schedule. So, so uh, to your Jackson State point, mm-hmm. um, UL going to be coming off an absolute beating at Kentucky. That's going to be a tough game. No one expects them to win. Jackson State, however, and I don't don't know what their football landscape looks like. They'll be playing Florida A&M. Well, now that I'm reading it, it, Jackson State is an HBCU. So maybe – but wait, isn't that – that's Deion Sanders' team, right? 
Is it? Jackson State? I believe so. That could... Jackson, let's see, Deion Sanders. Coach Prime. Yep, it sure is. Um, So that might not be a winnable game because Jackson State was pretty good as an HBCU last year. So um, the one thing I'll say, uh, I want to look on the bright side here. They do get 14 days between their game between Kentucky and then them playing Jackson State. So, and then you've got seven days until your game against Troy. Do you rest your guys against Jackson Strait for your in-conference game? No, because I don't think there's another guaranteed win on the schedule. Oh. I think you have to play. To, they might be having to play to their full extent of their ability to win that yeah. game. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know, but we'll we'll see how that game goes. Uh, and then, like you said, they open up Sunbelt play versus Troy. Um, I, I don't see them winning that game. They play at Coastal. Absolutely not. Uh, Georgia State, not winnable. Liberty, not winnable. South Alabama, maybe you catch South Alabama like on the wrong day. I don't know. Um, and then Texas State, I think, is the only other winnable game on the schedule. I mean, they play they in this they in the season. They don't have to leave the state, but they play number sixteen ranked LSU and number twenty three ranked Louisiana to start. So you mentioned Texas State um, at that point in the season. Uh, I think Spavadol will either be getting fired or be fired by that point. So if you can catch them at a good. Um, Assuming, rather, that's assuming there's a coaching change. If you can catch sure. them right at the hip of a coaching change, maybe you steal one out um, at Texas State. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Uh, although, you know, the them firing Spavadol could go the other way. And, and Texas State could be, you know, everybody just decides that they're playing for their roster spot. Right. Um, because they're like, well, the guy that recruited us is gone now. So, like the next head coach is going to come in and want his guys. Like we have to show up on film. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that, that might actually no, go the other point. way. <laughs> that might go the other way. Um, yeah. Uh, not, a, not a lot of positives for you on Monroe. They had a rough season last year. We, we knew it was going to happen. I didn't forecast them to finish. zero and 10, like they did. Um, I, th- I'm going to go out on a limb and say they beat Jackson state and they finished the season one and 11. I'm gonna concur one and eleven. No, I'll stamp my. I'll put my name next to two and a, a two and ten season. Yeah, I think between South Alabama and and Texas State, uh, odds are one of them's gonna fall your way. Sure, as unlikely as they both are, odds are both of one of them's gotta fall. Right. Right. Okay. Well, um, that will pretty much wrap up. I mean, this was a faster episode than we typically have when we do these uh, in-game previews or in-season previews. Um, you know, that will pretty much wrap up the Sun Belt. We've knocked out all 12 teams, and now we're just looking ahead to real, actual football to talk about and discuss. Um, Zeke, like, man, it's right around the corner. How, how excited are you for the upcoming season? I think this is going to be a really important year for the Sunbelt Conference in terms of building their brand. Um, and that's exciting for me as someone who covers the Sunbelt, me as someone who uh, wants these, this, these smaller you know, group of fives to be successful. It's a fun time to be in support of the Sunbelt. Um, 
you know, between Louisiana and Coastal. And then I, I think Georgia State's on the rise. Obviously, um, Arkansas – or I'm sorry, App State is a strong team. I, I By the end of the season, I think the Sun Belt could have possibly three ranked teams. Um, so I, th- I think it's, it's just going to be a really fun season. Yeah. I, I think so too. And, you know, I'm, I'm as excited for anybody for like real actual football to watch and discuss versus just trying to project all this stuff. So, um, yeah, that will pretty much wrap up this episode. Zeke, if you want to find, tell people where they can find you on social media. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I'm on Twitter at Zeke Palermo, Z E K E P A L E R M O. Um, I post uh, weekly stories for Underdog Dynasty, like I said earlier, talking primarily about Georgia State and Georgia Southern, but uh, we'll probably see just overall Sunbelt content there as well. And, uh, you know, God willing, I'll be back on this podcast in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was it was great to have you on, man. And uh, for everybody listening at home, you can find me on Twitter at Watch the Stone. Uh, you just touched on Georgia State and Georgia Southern. I just had a, an eleven hundred word uh, preview about Georgia Southern come out, just discussing like the the amount of things changing in that program from this year, uh, you know, last year to this year. So people could go find that on the site. And uh, yeah. This has been another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. Podcast.